this Sunday. We're back into our series through the book of Daniel. We're looking at Daniel chapter five. How many have read Daniel chapter five recently? Um, great. Awesome. Wow. That's fantastic. This is the one that is where we get our idiom today in America and uh, across the 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 world, the right writing on the wall, right? So you've heard that idiom that's been used um, many times. That's where it comes from. It comes from Daniel chapter five, uh, writing on the wall. But today I want to title the talk "Patterns and Prophets." Patterns and prophets. Um, and uh, we're going to look at this uh, from, let's start with just an, a, an overview real quick, because it's been a two weeks since we've been in uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, and so we'll review again. Um, and what I'm going to do is show you. All right. So I can't share. <laughs> I've got some technical issues happening here. So what I'm going to do is ask you to imagine with me in your mind's eye what uh, this would look like. So we have chapter two, chapter one's introduction. So that's the one where Daniel chooses not to eat the meat that is uh, offered to him. And instead he eats the, uh, the vegetables. Um, and, um, and so then you have here in Daniel chapter two, and this is really where sort of the structure begins. Um, is you have the dream of the four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar has. You remember that? He has that dream um, of the four kingdoms. No one can interpret it, so uh, Daniel does. And then chapter three is Daniel's friends, Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. Let me see if I can actually put this all in the chat. Let's see if that works. Copy. This might be a lot, so I don't know if it'll work, but I'm going to give it a whirl. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's see if it worked. Eh, it worked okay. <laughs> um, look at the chat if you can, and you can follow along with the uh, with where I'm at. So as you can see on the left side, there's a. <clears throat> that's the what's called. This is going to be what's called. This layout is what's called a chiastic. Uh, pattern. So, chiastic pattern <clears throat> is the way ancient, a lot of ancient poetry was, uh, was written this way, prose was written this way, not universally, but this is one of the many methods that authors used in the ancient world to communicate. And so, you'll have the message here starting A, B, and then you'll see C and C, okay, and then B and then A again. What these are corresponding stories, they sound the same. They have a lot of similarities, right? So you have a dream of four kingdoms replaced by a fifth in chapter two. A, let's look down at the last A, chapter seven, a vision of four world kingdoms replaced by a fifth, okay? Then you have B, which is chapter three, Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace, okay? Look at B here, Daniel in the lion's den, Right, so similar story. Um, C is Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. C, chapter five, Daniel interprets the writing on the wall for Belshazzar, right? So what the, the author is doing, the storyteller is doing, is kind of driving from the outsides into the center to say, 
I want you to capture the message I'm trying to convey to you. This is sort of the punchline of the joke. This is the climax of the story. This is the thing I want you to remember out of this. Uh, don't get caught up in the, in, the, uh, in the A or the other A or the B. Follow where they're pointing. They're guiding you, they're signposts pointing you, pointing you to something here in the center, okay? Are you with me so far? Not too complicated. Um, so this is what, um, you know, this is the stuff that uh, is the way the ancient world wrote, which was very formal, very, very common to them. So readers wouldn't have a hard time like us trying to keep track with this. It's a little tougher uh, for us. Uh, but this is the idea. And the, so we're going to focus in on chapter five today because four and five are contrasts to each other but they're similar. And that's what the, the author is trying to bring our attention to, right? Remember chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind and becomes like an animal. And then he returns, humbles himself, humbles himself and then is reestablished and is greater than he was before. Remember that story? And then what happens here in chapter five is that exactly the opposite happens because Belshazzar, who is most likely not his son, but his grandson. But in the ancient world, again, that didn't matter. If you were a son, if you were a child, even in the descendancy, you could refer to your father, you know, your great grandfather, your great 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 grandfather as your father. So uh, it, this is likely his grandson. But he says to him, "Look, you're you're doing you're doing what your your father did, except that you didn't change like your father did. You didn't get it. <laughs> you know, I tried to teach you. Tried to." you know, uh, great, make yourself great, just like your dad did. And you uh, were humbled, uh, except you didn't learn the lessons from your dad. You didn't take that in. And so that's what we're going to look at is patterns and profits. There's a pattern here that keeps repeating itself. And that has repeated itself through the book of Judges, through the book of Kings, and through the prophets. And that's where we are. We're in the prophets. We're in the book of Daniel. And this is what is being replayed over and over again. And the author's trying to say, do you see the stinking pattern that keeps happening over and over again that we all fall into and none of us are getting? And the prophets are trying to say, do you see it? And you don't. And uh, except for Nebuchadnezzar saw it, but Belshazzar did not. And so the author is doing this intentionally to get our attention on um, what we do uh, quite frequently. And so uh, this is the context. The context that the author is using is to say, look at what happens over and over again, except that I'm going to do it in a clever way. Prophets are sometimes clever. You notice sometimes they're direct. They're just like, I'm going to come through the front door and I'm going to crash down the front door and I'm going to tell you and confront you straight up. Other times, prophets went in through the back door cleverly to surprise you. Think of the story. For those of you who know the story, if you don't know the story, it's, it's um, David, King David, does something horrific. <clears throat> he has, um, while, one of the, while his soldiers are at war, he uh, has an affair. It actually, actually you know, rapes uh, one of the soldiers' wives. And then um, he has the husband killed in order to cover up his, his evil. And, uh, and Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and says, hey, let me, tell you, let me tell you something that's happening in your kingdom. 
So this is this guy that owns a bunch of sheep. He's wealthy, but he saw a poor guy and he wanted his sheep. And so he he took it from him and had him, you know, killed or whatever. He tells a story like this. And David says, well, let's take his head off. Let's go after him. And Nathan says, you're the man. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know, comes in the back door and just like surprises him. But David has a positive response to that. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the many ways that uh, prophets would communicate. This is one of those, it's a backdoor entrance. Why? Because who he's pointing to, who the prophet's pointing to, is the problems with Babylon. They're just such bad people. Look at this, you know, Belshazzar, he's a bad dude. He won't, he won't change his mind. He won't repent. He won't change. And it's like, what's he doing? He's going to tell you a story about Belshazzar that we're going to read in a moment. And I want you to catch this. He's doing this to go, do you see? This is what you're doing too. So this is a, a, a clever way that prophets would sometimes employ as a means to getting into our minds. Uh, to help us to see what it is that we don't currently see. Um, so let's look at Daniel, uh, read Daniel chapter five. Daniel chapter five, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Common setting, by the way, for storytelling. This is often used, this device, a party's being thrown. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines might drink from them. Okay, this is supposed to shock you as a listener and an ancient listener to this story, because even pagans, non you know, people that were of different faiths, religions in the day, thought this was really bad. <laughs> you, should, you don't do this sort of thing. Even if you conquer the other people, you don't take their, uh, their, their goblets that have been consecrated to their gods. You don't just willy-nilly take them and drink them like you're something special, like you're bigger than the gods. You know? So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In other words, wealth and military might. That's what's covered in here. Verse five, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, his face turned pale as anybody else's face would. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I love this picture. This is very funny, right? This is like, yep, anybody would feel that. Anybody would be terrified by suddenly fingers writing on a wall. Um, and the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. Now, do you recognize all of these people that he had hired could not read or understand, right? That, that happened before, right? In, this, in, in the book of Daniel, right? We've already read a similar story. That's what the author's doing is to, to bring this back in and to say, see, I want you to see what happens here. It keeps happening over and over again. 
these patterns that we live in, these things that we do. And then when there's the writing on the wall, a sign, an indication that something is wrong with what you're doing, most of the time we don't interpret the sign that's coming our way until we have to have literally someone come in and expose us. It is oftentimes the way things happen or a circumstance exposes us. Uh, okay, so his nobles are baffled. The queen hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in the kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and understanding and wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can write, read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I love Daniel's response here. And Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. <laughs> uh, wow. That's some, that's some, uh, you know, cojones. I mean, to actually be able to stand in front of a king and tell him, keep your gifts to yourself. I don't, I don't need them. That is, you know, everybody else must have gasped who heard this in the room, like collective, like sucking in of the air. What did you just say? Um, never mind like being clothed with purple and having all this wealth, but the way you just spoke to the king so directly, so dismissing, it's as if you don't need anything and that you are okay with who you are and comfortable in your own skin and comfortable enough to actually speak truth, which apparently by this point in Daniel's life, he's rather older, <laughs> probably old, very old, and just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to die anytime now, so I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, all right. So, uh, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him and all the nations and the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant, hardened with pride, this is the previous chapter, right? Chapter four, when he loses, when Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind, he was deposed from his throne and stripped of his glory. He was given away from, is driven away, excuse me, from people and driven and given the mind of an animal. Okay? He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys, ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. In other words, you ain't God. Get it through your head. You are not God. You are one of us. You're on the same level as every other human being. Um, and 
Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. You saw this pattern, Belshazzar. You saw it over and over again in your young age, and you still did not humble yourself. This is a wink-wink at Israel. That's, that's exactly what this is. This is a, you have seen all of this over and over and over again through the book of Kings. When a king would rise up and, and then do evil and then be humbled and then another king would rise up and do this just over and over and over again. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver in gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which you cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds his hand, who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at that, Belshazzar, then at Belshazzar's command, David was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So, what is this Mene, Mene, Tekel, by the way? This is an interesting phrase, right? Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Uh, why can no one read it? I mean, these Chaldeans, these astrologers, they were pretty good with languages. They were pretty good with uh, reading other languages. But this is one in which there is a good chance that the way the words were written were without any sort of me, uh, sentence to them. They were just single words and they were, um, uh, they were in Aramaic. Um, and even if the, the, the others could have read, they could not have understood what it meant. They had no concept of what does this mean? What is the, what, what is mene mene is actually a word that uh, could be is scholars are, Kind of have to. It's a hard time to work with these words because it's the word is is without vowels. So it's 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 the word from that is oftentimes translated mina or a a coin, right? So mina, um, and then uh, tekel, which is a fifth of a mina, and then parson, which is a half of a mina. So you have you you basically have money is being written up. It's like here's here's a mina. Here's a fifth of a mina, and here's a quarter of a, you know, a half of a mina, right? So it, it's sen it's senseless, um, but it's you know it, it's the the point is to get the people thinking like there's a message here that's being communicated, and oftentimes the messages that are being communicated are in signs, and um, we don't oftentimes see the signs until someone um, comes into our world or a circumstance comes in and shakes us up to be able to see what's actually happening and see what is what we are doing um, that is creating problems in our lives and in the lives of other people all right so this is um 
Uh, this is the, the, the pattern. So let's talk about the pattern, Israel's pattern. I mentioned this just before. As I said, the author is doing this really clever thing of saying, look at Belshazzar and, and wink, wink, this is you. This is Israel. Um, and so Israel's pattern had been fairly, uh, the way that the authors are writing this from the book of Judges. So the book of Judges is about, there are no kings for Israel, for these people that are not really a nation. They're just, they're just a people who have exited Egypt and are just nomadic and, you know, but, but starting to create cities and, and, um, and starting to live within these sort of, you know, quasi um, cities that are not really, again, they are no, no government other than what's called these judges, which were really deliverers. That's what they were. Um, and so what happened is these people could not live without a king. So they're, you know, without, without being governed, they couldn't just rely on God. They couldn't trust God. Uh, they needed a physical authority figure to tell them what to do, to tell them how to live. Now, boy, I could go down that path and that would be a whole other sermon. Uh, but that's what's happening in the book of Judges. By the time the kings rolls around, they finally ask for a king. They demand a king. They want a king because they're tired of the same thing happening, which was they would get to a certain point and then uh, of the, they, would, they would begin to oppress each other. And this is the pattern that's consistent, by the way. There's this sort of flow to, the, to Israel's pattern which is that they oppress others, then they become oppressed, then they repent, then they are delivered, and then they go back to oppressing others. This pattern repeats itself over and over again through the book of Judges. That's the story of the Judges. It's like, you know, we, they start mistreating each other, they start taking from each other. They, they, this is all part of the whole worship of other gods. And what they do is then they get oppressed themselves. Another uh, nation comes in against them. They repent. They say, oh, please, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I won't do this again. And then a deliverer rises up and frees them and they're delivered. And then the pattern starts all over again. Then it comes to the kings and they say, we need a king. We need a king. We want to be like all the other nations, have a king. They get a king and it's, you know, Saul is their first king. And then David, who's a very good king, apparently, in many ways, does a lot of bad things as well, but is a good king overall. And then you start to see this pattern through the book of Kings up and down over and over again. Good king who does the right things, bad king who oppresses people. That, back to a good king who uh, does the right thing, back to a bad king who oppresses people. And this happens over and over again, right through until Israel is finally, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are finally um, brought into exile. And uh, and then in exile, you have a lot more of the prophetic writings. So you have the prophets that come after the king. So you have judges, then you have the book of Kings. Uh, you have, you know, then you have, and you have the, the, the list of pro the prophets in all their writings. And the prophets are coming in to say, do you see this pattern that you keep falling into? Stop doing that. And the people won't listen. Um, so let me say a couple things about prophets, the way they function. Prophets were not nice people. Uh, they're not nice people. They're not people that you would like to hang out with for the most part, have a beer uh, with. They are weird, strange people. They're not normal. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. 
They don't say things the way that you would like them to say. They don't speak to you kindly. They don't speak to you respectfully. They don't speak to you gently. They don't know how to convey a message in a way that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. They can be clever and they can get in through the back door, but they can also be very, very difficult uh, in the way they communicate. And I, and, we, and I say this because oftentimes that's the reason why we don't listen to these voices is because they come across in ways that, that hurt us, that make us feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about. You have people in your lives that will say something to you and you're like, well, clearly my wife or husband could not be a prophetic voice. That's clear. That's off the table. And then, you know, we start having certain people that we put off the table, like, no, clearly that person, no, 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 not at work. That person at work, no, not a prophetic voice. They're just a jerk. And so we can begin to marginalize all these voices until we're down to narrow to simply saying, the only voice I'm going to listen to is that of my pastor. But if my, only if my pastor tells me what makes me feel pretty good or confirms what I already think. But if my pastor tells me something that really unsettles me, then he or she is, off the, is, is now off the table as well. And then we can keep going down the list until we are a silo, an echo chamber, until we only have the people that we like who say what we already think. You know, you get these other social media groups now that have started that are just for conservatives or just for liberals or just for, and it's like, and, and, and that's, what that, that's what's happening all over again. It's like, no, I don't want to listen to voices that may unsettle me. I only want to hear what people already, what I already believe and support my ways of thinking. And we are alienating the prophetic voices, the ways that God communicates to us. Except for, strangely enough, the so-called prophet who travels the world, who has millions of dollars, who's got a beautiful home, several beautiful homes that are multi-million dollar homes, and who sells books about end times. That is not even close to what prophets were like in the ancient world. Again, they were not the people that did this. Daniel's like, oh, no, keep your stuff for yourself. I have no desire for anything that you want to give me. I don't need it. And so it's take the, take the message because the message is for your good. You may not like it, but it's for your good. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, have I alienated? Have I cut off a lot of voices uh, in my life? Because I don't like them, because they hurt me, because they make me feel angry, because they frustrate me, because I disagree with them. You know, pay attention to what's happening internally for you. If something unsettles you, pay attention. It may not be prophetic. It may be pathetic, but it's, it's still something to pay attention to. How do you know? You don't know. You don't know until you've given it a chance to ask, is this from you, God? Can I sit with this for a little bit and weigh and test it to see, is this from you? And that's what the New Testament tells us to do. Weigh and test things. Don't dismiss it out of turn and don't accept it without thought. Weigh and test it. So, um, so let's put this all together. Patterns and prophets and what's happening here as Daniel is the prophet who speaks to Belshazzar, who represents Israel, <laughs> all of us, right? Nebuchadnezzar represents us too. 
It's like, oh yeah, I have I've had my moments of just like completely turning around. And that's what Dan, that's what the author's doing in the book of Daniel is to compare four, verse chapter four to chapter five. Nebuchadnezzar gets it, sees it. And sometimes we do. Belshazzar doesn't. And sometimes we don't. And so, you know, this is, this is the, this is the truth about all of us. And so what are we doing with the prophetic voices? Now, this is the, 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 the message for us today is, uh, is how are we, uh, you know, this is the message for us now, is how are we uh, paying attention, recognizing the patterns and the prophets? Well, for one thing is, it's difficult to see the patterns in our lives. I'll be honest with you. I don't see mine. I don't see what I do. Do you? Usually other people in your life see what you do <laughs> first. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and that's, that, can be very, um, that can be very painful at times, you know, of course, because people who love us will see what we are and see what we do. And will point that out to us, but we have a hard time sometimes hearing it. All right, so prophets live all, the prophetic voice lives around us everywhere. It doesn't mean that the people around you are prophets. It just means that God is always communicating prophetically to us in all kinds of ways. I've had people say to me, um, Joel, I, how do you hear God? This just be, used to be a constant question uh, years ago. I was running into lots of people who were saying, how do you hear God? How do you hear God? And then some went off and went to prophetic conferences to learn how to hear the voice of God or become one of these prophetic voices, you know, to other people. And, and the answer to the question is, well, God's always speaking. It's not a matter of if God's speaking or not. It's a matter of, am I able to hear it? Do I have a willing heart to hear it? And much of the time I found myself not having a willing heart to hear it. And so that's a big part of it. And so grace to all of us. We're all in this together. We all do this. So can we relax into, and it's a relaxing that's intentional because it doesn't feel relaxing, but it's a relaxing into, I'm going to allow, I'm going to welcome in and weigh and test the things that have been told to me by the people closest to me that can see me better than I can see myself. Because my friends, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to hear more, be willing to take it in and weigh and test it against what you are, what you know internally. So it's not just a matter of, I'm just going to listen to everybody and just everybody tell me what to do. No, that's the other extreme. You have to make the decision and you have to own the decision. If someone gives you guidance and you take it and then go for it and then it, it doesn't work, you can't blame the other person. You have to, it's like, no, that's your decision. You ultimately are responsible for that. But it's this balance of I'm hearing and I'm listening, I'm weighing and I'm testing, and then I'm going to take responsibility for my life. And I'm going to do the things that are right to do. This is for all of us, all of us. And so patterns and prophets, let's wrap this up. Uh, the different ways God communicates to us. I'm going to give us sort of three main, three main ways. As I already said, people. Second, our circumstances. Now, have you ever thought that COVID might be an invitation to you and me for transformation, for growth? 
not that COVID is a prophetic voice. It's, it's not that. It's again, it's don't, don't think about the source. Think about what's happening underneath. What's the story? What's, what's the communication? What's the message? What's being evoked inside you? Your own reaction. Uh, and thinking about, is God trying to communicate? I've been so blessed to listen to, to, to you and to many others who have said, wow, this thing, as painful as it's been, I've learned some things. I've learned some real deep lessons, and I've begun to make changes in my life. Some have started new endeavors, like new ministries, new, new, new businesses, like new relationships from this, from the ashes of what's taking place, right? So these are circumstances that come into our lives, things like COVID, things like you know, difficulties, things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 all sorts of things, a health issue. These are oftentimes messages to us. And speaking of health issues, the third one is body and your behaviors. Your body and behaviors are very good communicators. Have you ever found yourself one time just sort of like you snap and you yell? <laughs> None of you do that. I know that because you're all fantastic human beings. But occasionally, you've probably observed other people doing that. Um, and you've noticed how they will have a snap reaction to something. But if you've seen it in yourself, that sort of reaction that you have, whether you snap and, and, and yell or you have another kind of reaction, and you're surprised by it. It's like, I didn't see that coming. I, I, just for participation, would you just wave at me if you've ever had one, maybe even recently, where you were like, I just said something or did something, and I'm shocked by what I just said or did? I'm like, this is what, it, it is surprising, right? And you're like, why, where did that come from? Right? That's a prophetic moment. Imagine thinking of life as full of God's voice prophetic moments for your good, not for your, not for taking you down, not for knocking you down, not for correcting you for the sake of correcting you. This is for your good. This is so that you can soar. This is so that you can get unstuck from these patterns that are self-destructive and are destructive to the world. This is God's gift to you. It's like the reason why there are prophets is because God loves you so very much that it's like, I, in, I insist on making you better. Like I'm going to I'm going to keep coming at you with all kinds of messages for you so that you can hear and actually become free and live the fullness of, 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 you know, you, who you really are at your best. Like, this is what we want to call out of, uh, want, want to be true of us. We want to be our best selves. We want to be, um, at our, you know, uh, at our healthiest and God wants that for us. And so these are the ways God speaks through circumstances, through behaviors, through our body. Our body is a prophetic way of speaking to us too. Our bodies will sometimes go, hey, you know, suddenly you wake up and you're really exhausted or you have an ache or a pain or you have, you know, like sometimes it's, are you paying attention? You know, do you, do you, do you listen? Are you listening to, to yourself? Are you listening to, you know, to your, your health, to your body? If you push yourself too hard, you're going to get sick if you don't take care, if you don't eat right. And you're just like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, your body's the temple, you know, scripturally anyways, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're to maintain it. You're to take care of it. It's, it's, it's a gift by God to you. And so, you know, we sometimes say, ah, I'd rather hear God through like more mystical ways or through people or through, yeah, 
I know, me too. But this is also the way God communicates to us. And so patterns and prophets, um, this, is the pl- this is the balance, this is the interplay between the two. Unless we have a prophetic voices in our lives, we tend not to see our own patterns of behavior. And that's why we welcome the prophetic voices and we say yes to them. And when we do, as in the case of chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, suddenly things shift. All his attempt to make himself glorious, to make himself significant, to make himself peaceful, to make himself powerful, to make himself good enough, whatever it is, even the Pharisees, if we, you know, we can look at Nebuchadnezzar and be like, he's the character of a, you know, of the, the driven goal orient, you know, success oriented, whatever we want to say, we can, we can caricaturize him that way. But you have the Pharisees in Jesus's day who was about moral superiority. And that's the way they felt about them. That's the way they wanted to be great. And, and, and they felt that I would be rewarded if I'm morally superior to other people. But it's still very much about the sort of self and the narcissism and the self the, 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 the self-consciousness is the focus too much and overly done on ourselves. And this is the way we do things. And so uh, it takes sometimes patterns or prophets rather to come in and go, see that, that needs to change. That's, that's, uh, that's what you're doing. And so this is the balance. We live with patterns and we have prophets that come in and that's what helps us to finally shift and begin to really grow. So this is chapter four and five, the sort of central thrust to uh, the book of Daniel uh, for us to focus in on and to recognize. 